Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. I hope that you're committed to reading the Word of God, and I hope, we hope that you're committed to reading it every day. And uh, some of you will have perhaps started a, um, a some sort of program this year to read the Word of God. Uh, we've got everybody's got notes now, so I can ask the question: Who's who's doing some sort of Bible reading, uh, daily reading guide thing? Can I encourage you to do that? There's fantastic apps that will help you do that. They can bing with the the verse of the day, and um, I, I've done the one year Bible. I remember sitting New Year's Eve at about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night in some, at a party in the back room trying to finish reading the last few chapters. <laughs> Got to get it done. And uh, that was exciting. I've, right at the moment, I'm reading a, a chapter a day. So that'll take me 1,100 and something days, about three years worth. I'm about two years in now. And... Uh, because I'm, I'm doing more of what we're doing here today. This is a type of Bible study we're doing. It's called an inductive Bible study. And what we're doing is we're actually looking at a, a chapter and we're picking out what are the words that are repeated in the chapter because they are things that are important that, that God's wanting to bing, bing, hammer into our thick heads. Well, you've got thin heads. I've got a thick head. But I, I need to hear things over and over before. Ah, oh, maybe he's saying, trying to say that to me because I need to hear it a couple of times. And I encourage you to, to get on your app, get, get one of those. You can start, doesn't, you don't think, oh no, it's already five days late. The year's started. No, we'll start now and the, the app can guide you through or whatever method you use. You just get started and, and let the Word of God enter into our lives. Let's um, pray as we begin this today. Heavenly Father, pray that everyone's heart, including mine, would open up and hear God today. I pray that the Word of God become, would become more real and more meaningful and more precious to everybody in our church, Lord God. That we'd want to hear a, a download from heaven into our software and our brain every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, you're welcome. We're not going to be reading every single verse today, and, but you're welcome to read through. And I've, I've made notes and room for notes, but you might want to scribble your own revelations in there. And I encourage you to read through Philippians chapter 2 before next week. And Melanie will be giving a different kind of Bible study next week, or a different kind of look at the chapter next week. And uh, we want, after this series, to start the year with the Bible to get us all onto a, a bit of a habit of reading the Bible and making it something that's important to us. You know, it's a love letter. And, and 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this letter and uh, the, the, the value and the depth and the quality of what he had to say to those first Christians echoes through the ages. And it restores, it gets people back on the right track. It makes sure we don't drift off into some sort of weird Christianity that's not centered around something. And, and the Bible helps us to stay centered. The Bible is not Jesus, but the Bible reveals Jesus. So we are able to worship him in spirit and in truth. So we don't want to be worshipping him in some sort of untruth or some sort of wackiness. We want to worship him in truth. And the Bible unlocks the truth for us. So as we start here, the Philippians chapter 1, location of the readers. Well, they're in Philippi. And Philippi was a, actually if you go to Greece, I think they call it Philippi. And they don't have Thessalonica, they have Thessaloniki. Everything's got an E at the end. 
Anyway, <clears throat> so Philippi was, uh, and we're, we're Westerners, so we know how to pronounce things correctly. Thank you. The Greeks don't know how to pronounce their own cities. So we'll just go with Philippi. Okay, Philippi was named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip II, who conquered that sort of area. It used to be Macedonia. And remember, Paul received a vision from the Holy Spirit of a person in Macedonia saying, come here. And he had the dream like that. He said, right, we're not going up there. We're going to go over there. And here's a location map to show you where we're talking about here. Here's the Mediterranean. We've got Greece in the middle, Italy on the left, the soccer boot there, and, or the high-heeled shoe if you're my wife. And uh, Philippi is around the middle of that red line, uh, just to the right there, Philippi. And that was uh, the area that Alexander the Great's father sort of conquered. And then years later, the Romans uh, conquered that area, had big, a big battle after Julius Caesar was betrayed and the people who betrayed him had a battle there. And, and they uh, decided after winning that battle that they'd set Philippi up as a, a Roman outpost. In fact, if you were a veteran of the army, you could get free land, a big plot of land near Philippi and have your vineyard there and your olives and your, and your grapes going and your fruit trees. Okay, and that red line is called Via Ignatio, and that is a line traveling between Italy, although you have it crossed by boat from Italy, obviously, and then you hit that line, which is now Albania, and go across right through there to uh, Byzantium, which is now called Istanbul, and that's where they'd pick up the grain that Russians would produce and the Turks would produce other bits and pieces uh, for the tables of Rome. And they travel along there. That, that land section is 1,200 kilometers long. You can still go there today. This is what it looks like today. Here it is. It's a six-meter wide, oh, sorry, the track, El, El, uh, Via Ignacio first. There it is. Six meters wide all the way along the Roman road. All the roads lead to Rome. And uh, you can walk on that track just like you can do that special track walk in Spain that they do. Um, you can do this walk. Parts of it are actually link up to modern highways, so it's a bit dangerous there. You've got to stay out of the way of semi-trailers. But then there's lots of it that's like that, and you can travel along there. And Paul walked on those steps as well back in the day. And uh, so the readers were there um, on the Clenides River. <clears throat> Here's a picture of Philippi at the time. You can see an artist's impression. Big walls around the city, Roman city with all the vineyards and farmyards outside and the, the river went round the back. You can see the Via Ignatio goes straight through the middle and across there towards Rome. They have always, a lot of those uh, Mediterranean cities have some sort of acropolis on a hill nearby. There was no synagogue in there, so the people would, the Jews, the few Jews who lived there, would go out to the river in the, on a Sabbath day to have a prayer meeting out on the river. And we can see here in Roman, in Acts chapter 16... And verse 11, that uh, Paul says when he decided to go to Macedonia, he said, we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. The next day we landed at Neapolis and from there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. There's no synagogue here, so they were going to go out somewhere. The Romans weren't too comfortable about the Jewish religion, and so the Jews would go make sure everyone's happy, go outside the walls. We sat down to speak with some women who'd gathered there. Now, where are the men? That's the question of the, of the, of the church. 
Where are the men? Come on, men. I want to hear from you. Ready? Go. Thank you. Okay. Can we have a grunt, please, men? Where are the men? Thank you, men. We're doing better than Lydia's crowd. Verse 14, one of these ladies was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. It's possible to be a successful businesswoman and worship God. And it's possible to be a woman and successful in business. And she was there, and she was worshipping the Lord. She, had, she was already a seeker of God. You know, if the Bible says, if you seek, you'll find. And here she found. The Lord opened her heart. She accepted what Paul was saying. She listened. Wow, Jesus, this is all, this is what we've been looking for, the Messiah. I've been seeking after. This is what my heart has been seeking. And that's what we find when we meet Christ. We think, this is, you're the person I've been looking for all my life. You're the one who I've been seeking for to answer the eternity in my heart. And she says, and in verse 15, she and her household were baptized. Probably, probably you can go to the very uh, spot on the river where they think she was baptized. There's a basilica there, of course. You build something everywhere on the site. The Basilica of Lydia is there. And she said to, she asked them to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So she was wealthy enough to have a house that was big enough to have people come and stay and be a blessing because God always gives us a blessing so that we can be a blessing. And whatever we have in our possession is for us to be a blessing to other people. So there, there, and it goes on in that chapter to what happened to Paul in that city. And that was on his second missionary journey. And then he went back to uh, Jerusalem. And then he came back and did a third missionary journey. One of, and he dropped in on these guys, said, how are you going? This little church meeting in her house, you know, the house church. And uh, she was probably the leader of that group. The first uh, European to be born again was a woman. And she was probably the leader of that church in Philippi that this letter was written to. And uh, he saw them, and then he went back to Jerusalem. He was taken captive by the Romans, and he, and he read it for yourself. He ended up going to Rome, and he was put in house arrest for two years in Rome. He had a guard there. It was probably somewhere close to the emperor's palace because he refers to the, the emperor's own personal guards getting saved and in, in, in that household. And uh, wherever he went, Paul caused... Uh, people to look t- to Jesus, whether they were guard- guarding him or whether they were not guarding him. And the Philippians sent a guy on that uh, red path called Epaphroditus, sent him with a gift for Paul. We hear you're in prison. Our beautiful Paul, you led us to Jesus and you're suffering. Here's a gift, send me a large amount of money. And uh, a guy t- went the se- six or 700 kilometers on that road that you saw. He took the gift to Paul and he took the love of the Philippians to Paul. We, we're worried about you. And this letter is written to say, thank you for your gift. And it was also to say, I want to encourage you. Because you could not outgive Paul. We cannot outgive God. He's always blessing us far more than we ever bless him. And Paul had that same spirit. We want to bless you, Paul. Yeah, well, that's great. Thank you very, so much. But I want to bless you. And he gave them some advice and some help and some encouragement. Those people in that little town. Okay, so that's a little bit of background there. And uh, would you travel for the six weeks or whatever it would take, um, probably longer than that, to, to take a gift to somebody? You know, that was a, you can t- see the heart 
of the church was a giving church. Okay, what we're going to do here is look at some of the characteristics of Paul that pop out of this, of, out of this chapter, Philippians chapter 1. And so we're looking at characteristic number 1, which is the orange. And here's some orange things to look at in the whole chapter. Orange, you glad to hear about that. Okay, verse 3, he says there in the circle, I think of you. Paul thinks of them. What is his characteristic? Verse 7, you have a special place in my heart. Verse 8, how much I love you and long for you. Tender compassion. Verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow. Love is is a central theme to Paul. His first characteristic is love. Look over in verse 16. He's focused on love again. They preach because they love me. Some people preach because they love me. Some don't. He's very aware of love. Verse 25, I I want to remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you. And then on verse 24, sorry, I missed that one, for your sakes. Paul was alive for their sake. I'd rather stay here for their sake, for your sake. I'm here not for me, I'm here for you. In a world of selfies, people who care about other people stand out. Are other people on your heart? Are other, do other people, do the needs and the concerns of other people weigh you down? There's a simple test. Do you talk about yourself more than other people or do you talk about other people in a positive way more than yourself? Do you take your own defense all the time justifying what you're doing or are you wanting to protect and defend other people? You know, in a world of selfies and self-centeredness, Paul was saying you need to love other people. It's the number one character of a God of love is that he's more concerned about those tiny little insignificant dots on a planet in the middle of nowhere than he is about heaven. He's more concerned about you. Paul's number one characteristic is love. John 13, 35 says this. Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you're my followers, that you love one another. What are we known for? What are you known for? What do people say about you behind your back? What do you think they say? Do they say, wow, he, I don't agree with everything, but he really loves people. I don't agree with everything she, she believes. She goes, one of those wacky people goes to church. But you can't deny that she is a really loving person. She loves people. She genuinely cares about people. He genuinely is interested in me. Because that's what people should be saying. Because that is the sign that you're actually a follower of the one who loves. They'll know you're Christians by your love. Paul's characteristic, number one, was that he is a lover of souls. Number two, the green things. Verse three, every time I think of you, what does he do? He gives thanks to God. Takes in information, takes it to God. Verse four, whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. Faced with any situation, Paul prayed. Verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow. Verse 19, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul had confidence in prayer. You keep praying for me and I've got Jesus with me. I'm going to get out of this prison. Why? Because I believe in the power of prayer. Prayer changes things. People who don't believe that prayer prayer changes things are usually people who don't pray. Because once you start praying, it's like you get on a roll. You think, hang on, things are starting to happen. It's not exactly what I expected, but something's going on. I'm going to pray some more. 
And, and Paul would take information and pray. His first response was to pray. And we, we want to say to you, pray first. Whatever is happening. Okay, so the tire is flat. Let's pray first. God, can you help us solve this situation? The, the money is tight that week. Well, let's pray first before we try and solve the problem. Okay, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to pray first. And make prayer the first port of call. Because Paul, the very first thing that Paul does when he thinks of these beautiful people that he loves is pray. And when something good happens, we also, let's, let's just take a moment to thank God. And prayer is his number two characteristic. And verse 9 says, leads into the number three characteristic. What does Paul actually pray for them? How does he pray for them? How do you pray for people in your life? This is how you do it. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. Back to love, but also back to overflow. You know, when I'm praying for my brother, when I'm praying for my child, I pray, God, I just pray that their love would overflow. I pray their heart would be full of love. Be so full of love that it would overflow. What a beautiful thing to pray for somebody. I pray for this person at work who keeps hassling me or whatever. I pray for this supervisor who I don't get along with. I just pray that they'd somehow that your love would invade their heart and that they'd just start that change because they feel the love of God. Help me to be part of that change, God. Pray first. Verse 9, more and more is underlined. And then the next bit, and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Look at verse 6. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished. So God's not finished with you. He's not finished with me. And we both still have L plates on, by the way, because we're still learning. L's are learners, right? You and I are still learners, and God is still changing us. It says in verse 10, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blamelessly. And then in verse 11, that you may be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character. Paul's got, he's, he can see these Philippians are on a journey. You and I are on a journey. We're on a journey. Paul was into growth. We want new problems this year in 2019. Let's leave 2018, go on to new things. We want new development. God, in what area do you want me to grow? In 2019, what's the area you want me to focus on this month, today? What's the thing you want me to do? You want me to love more. And you can see there that Paul has two areas that he wants people to focus on in their growth. Number one, their heart. Grow in love. And number two, he wants them in verse 9, he says, keep growing also in knowledge and understanding. So we don't want to be just full of love without knowledge and understanding. And we don't want to be just full of knowledge and understanding without love. Christians need both. We need to be full of love, our hearts full of love for people, full of a compassion and, and a genuine care for people. But we also want to be full of truth and wisdom. So we're not loving foolishly. We're not doing things that are, that are silly things to do. Because sometimes, you know, if you get so full of love, you can start loving people that actually need a bit of a strong word, like children, your own children. But you also don't want to be so concerned about the truth, so concerned about what is right and wrong and how it all fits together and how everything works. I want to understand everything 100% that we forget to love. So we need to be a balanced growth. Are you growing in love? Is that a priority for you? It's a priority for Paul. He was only interested in Christians who were growing in love. 
and growing in the Word, growing in wisdom. That's what we're doing today. We're wanting to grow in wisdom and lacking in understanding is not good. We want to study the Bible so that we are full of wisdom and truth and also growing in love. So we're applying what we learn in a practical way. So people say, hmm, I'm going to believe that truth because I can feel that love. And that truth is useless if people don't feel that love. And that love feels great, but it doesn't actually challenge anybody unless you add some truth. And so we need to be growing in both areas, grace and truth. Paul's number three characteristic was growth. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we grow from glory to glory, from a little bit of love to a bit more. A little bit of truth, a bit more. Get our mind transformed a little bit more. To be more thinking along the lines of the mind of Christ. Okay, the fourth characteristic. The yellow things. Look at verse four, ten, uh, verse 4 again. Paul says, Whenever I pray, I make requests for you, for all of you, with joy. Where is he? He's imprisoned. What's he full of? Joy. Woo! He's full of joy. He says, you know, you can put me in prison. That's fine. You can't take my joy. You can tip me out of a boat into the sea. That's fine. You can't harm my joy because I have joy. I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? You're supposed to come in with the chorus there, Paul. Joy. Joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, we, we, we have fun as one of our values in our church. We want to move out things that are harming joy. We don't want death and dying and, and dark doom and dungeon kind of messages and fellowship. We want to have messages and fellowship full of joy, the joy of the Lord, because that's the strength of our church. The joy of the Lord is a strength to us. Uh, Japanese uh, house tidying consultants advise that you only have things in your house that give you joy. So when you open up your cupboard to take out a clothing, you just don't know what to wear because every single item feels fantastic. I love that. I love that. This feels great. That's going to be awesome to wear. Get rid of anything that doesn't fill that criteria. Same with everything else in your house, your kitchen. As you open the drawer, I'm going to look forward to using that thing. If you have a can opener in there that does not give you joy, because every time you use it, it doesn't work properly, chuck it out. Go and get a really good can opener that gives you joy. What's that got to do with the message of the gospel? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Clear out all the clutter that gets in between you and the joy of the Lord. This is stopping me from going to church. I need to get that joy. I'm going to cut that out. This activity that I'm doing, I, I'm obsessed with it, but it's not giving me joy. I'm spending a lot of time on the PlayStation because I'm obsessed and addicted, but that is no, actually not giving me joy. So I need to get it out. Jesus said, if it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. And uh, joy is the criteria here. And Paul is full of it. Joy, that is. Verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything has happened to me has helped. He's joyful in the midst of being in prison, he, he, because he's got this attitude is, I don't care what happens to me, 
everything that happens to me will help. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So he says here, look, I'm not worried. You guys are worried about me in prison. I'm not worried. I'm full of the joy of the Lord. It's all going to work out fine. In fact, it's given me time to write these letters. If it wasn't for the imprisonment, we wouldn't have Philippians. We wouldn't have Romans. It's all worked out for fine. And joy's uh, part of the thing in, in Paul's life. Philippians 4.4. 4. I think I got that there. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Rejoice. Are you rejoicing? Why not if you're not? Paul prized joy. We prize joy. Verse 25, he says, I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. If your faith is not full of joy, you're not believing in the right God because there should be joy in your faith. Overcoming joy. Verse 29, the last one. He says, the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Christ. I don't care whether I'm going to heaven or if I have to stay here on earth. It's a privilege to me. It's a privilege. And that's a decision we make, a choice that we make. Number five, characteristic, the red things. Verse six, I'm certain. Verse 12, I want you to know. Verse 19, I know. Verse 20, I fully expect. Verse 20. Five, I am convinced. Verse 26, when I come to you again, you will have. Now, Paul was a strong guy. He was full of love, full of joy, but he was also convinced. Convinced people are persuasive people. They are influential people. If you are not a convinced person, you're a wishy-washy person. You're not going to influence anyone. What, what do you believe? Oh, just a bit, of, a bit of that, a bit of Bible, a bit of this. No, I am convinced. I had, I've met Christ. Something happened. I know that I know that I know that Jesus spoke to me on that day. I've put a marker there, and I'm not going back past that. That is my, the, the, the new wall in my life because that changed me. And then we go and put another marker in because he spoke to us again. We look back in our life and we see boom, 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 times where God says, I'm with you. We need to have those as believers because they help us be convinced. So when people speak to us, they say, well, that guy, is, he's, this, they've got something. It's like they, they said to, about Peter, the, the Pharisees, what they got? What, they're, they're so bold. And that leads us on to the final characteristic is boldness. Look at verse 14 in the purple. I don't know what color it printed out, but it's sort of gray washy color there. Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Are you the sort of person that when you're going through a tough time, that everyone around you is inspired? Paul's going through a tough time and all the people around him have gained confidence. Something about Paul gives confidence even in a tough time. He's bold. He's brave. He's, don't, don't worry about it, you guys. Everything's going to be fine. And they look at him and they go, well, if he can be fine, what am I doing? I'm out here. I'm free. I've got nothing to worry about. Okay, I'm going to be fine as well. Let's be people who are so full of the confidence of God 
that we are oozing out boldness, confidence to other people. Because people like hanging around confident, bold people who know who they are, know where they're going. That's how Billy Graham met his wife. She said, there's a guy who knows where he's going. I want to go and meet him. People have that same attitude today. Verse 20, I fully expect and hope I'll never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold. Verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. In our country, there are unwritten rules that, uh, you know, you can't say things, certain things. Well, you can at least make it known that you disagree with somebody. If somebody at work says something you disagree with, you can say, oh, I'm not sure I 100% agree with that. I just wanted to let you know that I'm a Christian and, um, yeah, I've got a different view on what what you're talking about. Um, You know, if you want to talk about it sometime. It's always best to get people one-on-one, by the way, rather than trying to take on a crowd. But I do encourage you to let the boldness of Christ rise up in you because a sign of the Holy Spirit coming was the boldness that came upon the believers. And... uh, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Look, we've come to the end of the first chapter of an inductive Bible study where we try and identify what are the words that are repeated because obviously God wanted those words in there. And we can say, God, what do you want to say to me from this chapter? And I believe that God is wanting to speak to each one of us today through his word and by his Holy Spirit coming and bringing a particular part to life for you. And I believe that part of that is for you to really make a decision to tomorrow morning. So I'm going to start my day with the Word of God. Maybe in the morning if you're getting up super early for some shift or something, it might be hard. But at some point during the day, even if it's the last thing you do, read some of the Word of God every day. And if you're able to, dig in a little bit because it's a gold mine. There are multiple layers and multiple dimensions to the Word of God. So that you and I can read the same passage and it it can be totally relevant to your situation, totally relevant to my situation, and we've got two totally different situations. Because it's the Word of God has power. The Holy Spirit can take a word and bring life to us. He brings manna to us. The Word of God is a word like manna that needs to be collected daily. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord God, your church, your precious church. Thank you, God. We are the great, 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 great descendants of those beautiful people who are sitting by a river and you opened up their eyes to see Jesus and their lives were changed forever. Thank you, Lord God, that they got this letter written to them that helped and encouraged them. And I pray, Lord, that everybody here would be helped and encouraged as we read Philippians together. Read Philippians chapter 2 this week. And if you're sitting here today while every eye is closed and uh, you feel like you need to come back to God or you have never given over to God what is rightfully His, which is the place of honour, the place of number one in your heart, then... We're going to pray a prayer. I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. I'm not going to embarrass you. You won't have to come up to the front. You won't have to put your hand up. It's just between you and God. But I encourage you to open up your heart 
and pray this prayer with us. In fact, let's all pray this prayer together so that no one feels singled out. And also so that we each can refresh our commitment to Him. So please repeat after me. Lord God, thank You for Your great love that reached out to us and sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for ignoring you. And I invite you into my heart. Please forgive me for my sins. Please wash me clean again. And come and teach me how to live and how to follow Jesus all the days of my life. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.